welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Okay. This morning we're going to be in Malachi 2 in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Malachi 2 in the Old Testament. It's the last book before the New Testament. And the last time it was the intro to Malachi. So we went through the background. We went through, you know, really it's very interesting what religion is supposed to be. Even James 1.27 tells us that pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to take care of widows and orphans in their time of need, and sometimes people forget this last part, and to be undefiled by the word, by the world. Excuse me. So it's an important thing, and we looked at what does God say about religion? What did he say about false religion or false clergy? We read some scripture that are really geared towards clergy who put on a show Right, but their hearts are not for God. They might do it for various reasons, and you know they're going to stand before God in the judgment. And it's not going to be pretty. Uh, was it James three one says, "Let us not all become teachers or those in authority in a, a church type setting, because don't you know we will receive a stricter judgment?" So people in my position, I've read the whole Bible a few times, taught almost all of it. I can't stand before God and go, "Oh, I didn't see that part in the scripture." Oh, I didn't know, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's pretty much in there. Uh, today's message is titled, Warning is Love. Warning is Love. And as parents of children, like we, we warn our kids, don't touch the hot stove, you know, don't play close to the street. And sometimes we can sound like a nag to our children when they're little and even teenagers and even later. Uh, but the thing is, we love them, and that's why we warn them. So in this portion of Scripture, we're going to see God warning His people about things they're doing, right? They're running out into the street or touching the hot stove of the world. They're going in the wrong direction spiritually, and He loves them so much, He's trying to pull them back, right? But again, He gave us free will. Uh, and even today, right, we take His commands or we don't. Uh, and when we don't, we, we can suffer those consequences. So we're going to look at this in four parts. And jumping into Malachi 2, verse 1 through 6 to start with. And he says, And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you. And I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on your faces. Sometimes I pick a book and then I, you know, I, I've read it a bunch of times, and then I go to read it and like, oh wow, that's in there. <laughs> but you know, God wants me to cover this, so we're going to do it. The refuse of your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant with Levi, the line of Levi, the tribe of Levi, which, not the genes, uh, where the priests came from, okay, Moses and Aaron on all the line of the priests, 
uh, says the Lord of hosts, my covenant was with him, one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. Right? This is the time when it, it all started and there was like purity there and everybody was excited. Verse 6, the law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. Ah, the, the, the uh, leader of the people who is just living a right life. He walked with me, God is saying, in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity or sin. This is, this is powerful stuff. So one out of four is the corrupt priests, right? So verse 1 and 2, he sets the stage for the rest of the chapter. And, you know, it's, it's something that is very near and dear to God's heart. Because when the leaders, listen, the kings should have done right, right? There were different uh, world leaders should have done right, and they didn't. And God had to deal with them. But the ones that were supposedly leading people to God, when they started to become corrupt and defiled, it started to roll downhill to the people. And God had to kind of pump the brakes on this and say, hey, you got to stop doing this. You know, stop doing this. So verse 3, the, um, the refuse, or <laughs> translated the feces. So when the animals were brought for, you know, through the, the temple offerings, and an animal had to be you know, slain and butchered, they would have to take the intestines with, where the feces were in it, I'm just saying it, and it had to be taken outside the camp and be burned according to Ezekiel 29 because touching it or handling it could make one ceremonially unclean. So God was basically saying, I don't read anywhere where he actually literally took it out of the intestines and spread it on their faces, but he's making a very strong point here metaphorically. And he's saying that if it was to be spread on your faces, the people would look at it and go, oh, you're undefiled. You can't participate. We're not following you. What God is basically saying is the stuff that you're doing inside, in your hearts, in your minds, what you do when you're out of, when you take your priestly garments off, when you go home, right? When people don't see you, he's like, you're defiled. So I might as well just metaphorically take this stuff and spread it on your faces so that you could, the people could reject you and put you outside of the camp because that's where you belong. You don't belong offering these sacrifices. Very, very powerful words. Now, sometimes we have skeptics. Sometimes we have new people that come in. They watch on live stream, and, and I always want to speak to them as well. And they say, oh, wow, that's, uh, that's your loving God. Well, let's look at this for a minute. 1 Samuel 2 through 4, Eli, remember Eli the priest? He had two sons, and uh, they were stealing food, right, from the people. They were taking the best, not for God, but for themselves. They were probably taking even more than they were supposed to be taking. Uh, they were, let's just say it, they were having sex with the women worshipers. And it was so reprehensible and so offensive to God that he killed them. He took them out. Now, when I read this, I have no problem with this at all. Because today, when I read the paper and I read about churches or religious institutions where their leaders are bilking elderly people, that they're guilting and pressuring them to leave their, their money to them instead of their children, when I see read something about a child or a, a woman who was taken advantage of by clergy, it bothers me when I see and I read and I see that they're even getting away with it because they're teaching false doctrine. It bothers me. 
And I'm like, oh Lord, when's the justice going to take place? But he assures me in Matthew 23 and Matthew 7, 21 through 23 that that will take place. Because you know, when I meet somebody who usually has a grudge against God, nine times out of ten, their grudge isn't against God. If they knew God, they wouldn't have a grudge against them. Their grudge is with either a religious system or a religious figure that took advantage of them or was some type of hypocritical uh, position that duped them emotionally, psychologically, or physically, or spiritually. And it bothers me because then I have to work with that person and sort of peel the layers of the onions and saying not all God's representatives look like that. So I have no problem with this at all. Um, you know, and there's one crowd that says we want justice, right? Justice needs to take place. But then that same crowd, I'll read this, and they'll go, oh, that's the God of love, not that kind of justice. Listen, if you want justice from God, you don't get to determine what type of justice gets meted out. As a matter of fact, I deserve judgment and justice, and we all do because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's through Jesus Christ that we actually, our sins are paid for. So, I'm not too hard on the whole thing, uh, looking at others and pointing fingers, because I know that, that my sins also put Christ on the cross. Amen? But, I don't like to see people take advantage of, especially in my old career, <laughs> in law enforcement, and also the, my present choice, um, seeing innocent people taken advantage of. And you're always, we're always, my wife and I, sometimes we watch these investigative shows on some of these cults and what they do to people and how they get into their heads. And it's just very disturbing, very disturbing. And you know what? God's going to deal with them. He's going to say, I never knew you. Well, but hey, we wore a collar. We had a name tag. It doesn't matter. See, clergy is supposed to help to bring people to God instead of pushing people away from God. Verses 4-6, through six, God's special covenant, right? The Levites, Moses and Aaron. It was intimate. It was close. It's just sort of like a love story. As you read this, you see God's love story with those people who rose up and said, God, we want to serve You and we want to get the worshipers closer to You. And you saw this intimate back and forth with all the blessings of that line and the Levites and they would go... Uh, they were in almost every town and they would teach the people God's laws and His statutes. This was their full-time job. And it was a lovely relationship and people looked up to them. But decades, not decades, centuries later, it, the thing starts to fall apart and it's not on God's end. Right? He, he empowered them to be ambassadors to Him. Now we see a New Testament counterpart, which I love, and some of you already know where I'm going to go with this, is 2 Corinthians 5.20. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, light of the New Covenant, trying to bring people closer to God, he says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Think about this. Think about, uh, I don't know, any country, any leader who called you up and said, I want you to be an ambassador from the United States to France or to Germany or to Nigeria, that you would be like, wow, what an honor that is. God is calling us to be ambassadors to Christ, to show a, a lost and hopeless world there is hope. There is a kingdom, and we represent that kingdom. Wow, what an honor. So he says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading or imploring through us we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Isn't that what we want? How many of you come to me quietly through an email or a text and say, I have this friend and 
I think they're really close. I want them to know the Lord. Can you help me out? Can you pray for me? Right? I love it. I love being a part of that. I love that one day when I pass and I get into the kingdom and everything is done and the books are open, I'm going to see a whole group of people that I don't recognize. But I, I had a hand in, James, I was just talking about the FCA during the, uh, during the announcements, right? Asking everybody to pray for me as I go as an ambassador to a high school. Whoa, what, what kind of world is this? You know, that doesn't happen. So that's exciting. Are we representing the Lord properly? Now, it doesn't mean we're always going to do it right. Of course not. Of course not. But this is our desire. This is our desire. So verse 5, the priests from the line of Levi feared God. Now that word can also mean a respect, a reverence, an awe. They were in awe of God. And they didn't want to do the wrong thing because they saw what a responsibility they had. That God was counting on them. Go for me. Isaiah 6, right? He sees the glory of the Lord and he just is like, Lord, send me. How do you not have an experience with the living God and not want to be sent to those that you love to get them? I never thought I'd be so excited about teaching Malachi. I just want you to know that. I'm starting to get really worked up here because it's like this is why it's called the living word. You can take any book of the Bible and you could see the applications that God has for us. Amen? So exciting. Verse 6, the law of truth was in his mouth. They started out as pure as one could be. And there were also principles of blessings and cursings. We see this in Deuteronomy and Numbers. And they knew the deal. This wasn't like, you know, God's having a bad day and he's like, I'm going to curse you. <laughs> I just had one of my angels, you know, they're, they're looking for a, a better hourly wage and better health care. That's it. I'm cursing you. It doesn't work like that. That's what people do. What it meant was God set out the rules. And I love that, right? I know the rules. And he says that if you do these things, that you'll be blessed. Wonderful things are going to happen, but if you do this wickedness, those blessings won't be there. As a matter of fact, you know, a lot of times when people go the wrong way, it's not even God doing it to them. They do it to themselves. When we get out of that protection, that zone of protection, you know, that intimacy with us and the Lord, when we step outside of that and we run like the prodigal son, he got himself into a lot of trouble. But the, his father still loved him. It still took him back. But he had to repent. He had to turn around. So this is really, really neat stuff. So they knew the deal. You know, I wonder too with the United States, again, we've, had our, we've done our, our sins. The United States as a nation many times try to make things better. You know, you look at other countries or whatever. Uh, we try to always right the wrongs. And there's plenty of wrongs that happen that we try to correct. But I see a, a time in our country where the culture is becoming so decadent. And, you know, the voters aren't even hold their leaders accountable anymore. Local government, state, county, uh, you know, federal government. They just, this is it. You, if you have a silver tongue, somebody's convinced and they, they click the box for you. But, you know, we're, we're seeing the actions so horrific in the things they're instituting, the things that they're forcing on our kids uh, in the schools and with, by laws and, you know, these sneaky kind of things that they, they push in there. And, uh, you know, I see that the more we advance in the world temporally, I see the United States just start to come apart. It's fracturing. It's fracturing. And I believe it's because there's a spiritual vacuum. As a nation, we're, we're, we're going in the wrong direction. We're moving away from God's precepts, and we're going to suffer the consequences as a result of it. I pray for revival, I would say, almost every day. 
I pray for, if I'm in this country, I pray for the world. If I was in France, I'd pray for the French government. You know, it is what it is. Pray for your leaders, the Bible says. Continuing on, he says in the last part of verse 6, it says that he walked with me, right? The, 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 the Levites, this line, in peace and equity and turns many away from iniquity or sin. You know, there are, are religious leaders today that are turning people to sin. That they're saying, hey, don't worry about it. Or they, they groom them for doing evil things. So, you know, there's... One person who's an ecclesiastic authority could have such a detrimental impact to so many. And it's a horrible thing to, to know that these things are going on. And it was happening back then. It's not just today. But certainly we can make application. Verse 7, continuing on. He says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law or God's word. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. The people are going to see this. I'm going to expose you, right? Uh, two out of four is the, the falling away. From a great spiritual privilege to a great falling away. What they were supposed to be to what they had become. Right? Seven, the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is his messenger. I see some of these, and it's in various denominations, these high apex pinnacle leader of this denomination. And they're saying some really weird stuff. They're discounting the Word. They're discounting a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're discounting the things that we know are right. They're doing evil. And got to read their words. I have a bunch of copies in my office about various leaders, and they're going into these worldly philosophies. They're going into globalism. But what they're not doing is helping people to know their God and their Savior. And that was the primary thing that we should be doing. You saw it in the Old Testament pre-Christ. And you see it in the New Testament, after Christ. I mean, Christ is still here. So a few things with this caveat about the priesthood. And some may be irritated by what I'm going to say, but it's all scriptural. So this is interesting. A is the priests, right? Because you hear about priests today, but you're like, my, I read the Old Testament, very different. Why is there such a difference? So A, the priests, if you were a priest according to God, you had to be from a specific bloodline. You had to be from the tribe of Levi. Nobody outside, even the religious people couldn't be priests. They had to be from that specific line. B, they were married and had children. Why? How do we know this? Because you couldn't be a priest. You couldn't carry on the priesthood, right? If, if you didn't have a dad or a grandfather or, a father or a great-grandfather who was a priest. So the, they had to have families. And we see sometimes today they don't have families. Okay, but they were married. They had families. Uh, C, they officiated at the temple, which God removed or allowed to be removed in the war of A.D. 66 through A.D. 70. So the place where the priests were supposed to be, specifically in Jerusalem in the temple, God allowed that system to be collapsed since Christ. And there's a reason for that. So there's no reason for any real priests because they don't officiate of, of the specifics that God told them to, to officiate at. D, you don't find the role of the priests by Christians in the book of Acts. 
So Acts lays out the groundwork for the church. You see teachers, you see healers, you see encouragers, you see you know uh, leaders, but you don't see the priests as absent. And the last part of this is that Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus was the last priest. He was the high priest. What's interesting about Jesus was he was the lamb, he was the sacrifice who takes away the sins of the world, but he also is considered the high priest. When he was on the cross, he did everything. He officiated himself dying for the sins of the people. Nobody else could top that. What priest could come after Jesus, right? You can't. So he was the ultimate. And what a coincidence that when Christ died and rose again, it wasn't that much longer that that whole system collapsed in that last war of AD 66 through AD 70. So it's a very interesting thing when we look at it. Um, if you don't follow that, you, you really can't be a priest. Verse 7, he said, priests should keep knowledge of God's Word and the people seek the priests for that knowledge. Again, it's an awesome responsibility. And in verse 8, he says, you have departed from the way and you've caused many to stumble at the law. So this is sort of a snowball effect, right? By their words and by their actions. Uh, something about behavior and belief, they follow each other. If you believe something that's very different than what you believed before, your behavior, your proclivities will change, right? Uh, if you, if you uh, behave a certain way, let's start with that one. You behave a certain way and you get into some situation and it's against what God says, then your belief system's going to change because you're going to look for a belief system that's going to say, hey, that's fine, don't worry about it. Right? We've seen some famous Christian leaders who decided, I'm not a Christian anymore. Seriously? How do you know Jesus? How are you saved by His blood and you all of a sudden decide you're because of a fad, you're, you're not a believer anymore? And I see some Christians, they get upset. I'm like, that's weird. So, of course, me, I have to do an investigation. So what were they doing? What did they get involved in? Why are they coming out like within the secular media? They're remaking themselves. Ten times out of ten, I'm right about it. So... It's just weird. You don't know Christ and love Christ. Listen, we make mistakes. Sometimes we feel far from the Lord, don't we? Right? But God always says, come, come sit next to me. <laughs> the seat's always open for you. I love you. I want to put my arm around you. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying certain things to them so they change, so they repent. Amen? Right? God never says, oh, you know, I'm, once I close the door, that's it. Don't even come and knock in. Why did Jesus tell the parable of the prodigal son? Because that father waited and waited and waited. And that one day, he saw his son coming up over the horizon and he ran towards him. You didn't do that back in those days if you were the dad, if you were the patriarch. Jesus tells the parable in God's eyes, not sort of it starts with the culture, but it ends with a spiritual message. So it's pretty powerful stuff. Really, really, really neat stuff. Um, again, behavior too. And in our position, you should pray for us because... Listen, we deal with trials and temptations all the time too. And I have to tell you, uh, we have a church full of little kids and, you know, <laughs> some, whatever. Whenever somebody tempts me to lose my cool, I think about what I'm, what I'm doing on a regular. I don't forget. Could be Monday, could be Thursday. I know who I am, right? And I know who I am in Christ. So I actually got a card, a Christmas card from a little five-year-old. Yeah, this is precious. I get a lot of these different age groups. And on the left side is a picture. 
And I opened the card after she had left. And I, I contacted the mom and I said, I need her to decipher the picture. Like she drew a picture. So the picture was a bunch of bunnies. I love bunnies. It's a sunny day. I love sunny days. There's a picture of me. It doesn't look bad. I think it's pretty good. So, uh, you know, I remember when I had one of my many surgeries, um, I went to the operating table and little Peter, who's now a man, uh, he drew a picture of me on the operating table and the surgeon over me. And I took it with me to the, the, to the, the center. You know, you got to wear them stupid gowns and the hat thing. But I had the picture and I showed the surgeon. I said, now you got a good job. You got to do a good job because all these little kids are praying for me. He loved that. And he did do a good job. So praise God. Anyway, where was I? Okay, let me go back here. But you know, it's, listen, we, how do you, well, we're going to get to the part about the tears. How did these priests, do such evil and wicked wickedness and see the little kids and, and see the vulnerable and the elderly people and and we see that this sort of a, a, a te- tears on the altar. We're going to get to that part. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so verse 9, he says, I have made you contemptible, base before all the people. Right? Listen, it takes a lifetime many times to build a reputation, but it only takes a few minutes or a few hours or a few days to totally ruin that reputation. That's kind of sad and really unfair when we look at the world, right? Sometimes our culture is not about forgiving each other, um, but, but God was saying, you know, it's not just that you're doing wrong, you're hurting the vulnerable, right? So uh, he says, I will expose you. And today, sometimes people do things and they think they can keep it a secret, but it eventually gets exposed, um, and it's, I think what's most tragic is that when we other religious leaders or politicians, they do stuff and you see this, right? You see it on TV, the person gets exposed and they're in tears and they're saying, I'm sorry. And okay, that's one thing. God knows if they truly repent, but what about the ones who they get exposed and they get interviewed? I, I saw one recently with a political person and they, they just don't have any conscience, right? It just doesn't phase them. That's, that's, that's more frightening, right? When God is trying to get a hold of somebody and they're so hard-hearted that no matter what you expose about them, it's not a big deal to them. Um, so that's really tragic. And 9b, last part of this is, he says to the priest, you have not kept my ways, but you have shown partiality or favoritism or prejudice, right? Fill in the blank, in the law. And part of that is that uh, they would work with people that had money and people that had power, right? This happened during the time of Jesus. They were so tied into the the uh, political system. They were ber- very wealthy people. There's actually a study on some of the Pharisees and where they lived. They lived in certain towns that were like beautiful short towns where the real estate was expensive, and this is where they lived, right? Um, you know, and they showed partiality to the person who couldn't do anything, to the elderly person, the poor person. They didn't care, uh, but the, the, the person that they recognized that had some sort of power, they would make deals with them, and they would get handsomely rewarded by those powerful people. And again, you just do a study of some of these religions and see that that's true. still goes on today, unfortunately. You ever see some of these like high echelon religious heads, and they're all rubbing elbows with the billionaire class and the World Economic Forum and you know politicians, and you're like... When do you have time to minister to the people? You know what I'm saying? 
It's all about you, uh, you know, enriching yourself. Has anything changed in 2,400 years? Right? Hopefully more people repent, but last few verses. He says, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? So now, remember, God is speaking to Malachi. Malachi is delivering the message to the people. So sometimes these are God's direct words. And sometimes God is saying to Malachi, you know, tell them this. Maybe it'll soften their hearts, right? So he continues, has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah, where Jerusalem is in, has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now, is this uh, the Titans? No, I'm going to explain it. But it's a very poignant statement. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so He, God, does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, right, He's anticipating their response in their hard-heartedness, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Imagine wearying the Lord, getting the Lord to the point where he's weary. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? There's like no personal responsibility here. In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. Right? Isaiah 5, evil is going to be looked at as good. Good is going to be looked at as evil. We're seeing that in our culture. It just keeps repeating itself. And he, God, delights in them. Or where's the God of justice or judgment? So let's break this down. Three, the treachery of infidelities, plural. So it was threefold. A, the officiants, the priests, had, a, had spiritual infidelity. So this, this uh, estrangement from the living God. So it starts with that, and then it... B moves to marital infidelity. Remember I said belief, behavior, how they're intertwined? C, then it was the infidelity to the people, right? If your mind is that corrupted and defiled and you're in this officiant position, how do you reach the people? How do you... Listen, there's been times, and it's not even through hardship. I've seen clergy. I've gone to weddings, funerals. And there's some awesome people outside of our denomination that are doing what I do. I mean, they're just awesome people. It's not a denominational thing. But you ever run into a clergy person who just looks like they're punching a clock? They're just so miserable. And they're, it's, it's a wedding. It's supposed to be, and they're just grumpy doing the wedding. It's like, I don't get that. I mean, well, we have to be on eggshells because you're always in a bad mood. You know what I'm saying? What, what's going on? Find another job. Be a plumber or a carpenter. You could be grumpy all you want and work with wood and, and waste and nobody's going to care. 
right? Change professions. But if you're going to be serving the Lord, right? Um, enjoy what you do. Getting people close to God is a joy. There's no other way to say it. And we go through things, don't we? We go through things. But we should never lose sight of the, uh, the mandate or the office that God has given us. And 2 Corinthians 5.20, you know, as believers, we all have an office. We all have uh, an ambassadorship. Amen? So it's not just us up here. So verse 10, he says, though we now have one father, implying that we're all his children, then why do you deal treacherously with each other? So this, was, this had to do with, there was some, I guess, marital problems in the priesthood. Uh, they weren't, listen, this, that's not a nice way to say it. You're dealing treacherously with the wife of your youth. Like there's no cutting corners there. There's no dancing around it. Something was going on that wasn't right. Um, and it started to fracture the relationship, which would fracture the relationship with children. And what did those young priests who were maybe 12, 13, 18, they're not priests yet, and they see this situation with their parents and other people in the community, where's the, the excitement for them to want to serve God when they see the hypocrisy in their own homes, right? So, you know, we, we, we continue. There's <laughs> a lot of stuff here. Verse 11 he said that you married the daughter of a foreign god. Now, it didn't mean that the women... So they, they would divorce their wives or they would commit adultery and they would be with other women, uh, not that they were direct descendants of a foreign god, a false god, but they were, they were idolatrous. And it was bad enough that they were breaking the marriage covenant, but that they were doing it with uh, people who you know, were pagans or ungodly people, right? Now... And I, and I love this because I, I always even deal with some of the college students that come to me and, or public school and, you know, the, one of their professors. I love the way they, with their age, they talk down to the young people. And if you're a believer in God, that they'll try to make you not believe. And this does happen on a regular basis. We need to be talking to our children no matter how old they are. Just keep talking to them, learning about what they're learning because it can change them, right? So... It was a situation where people will say today, oh, there's uh, racism in the Bible because God didn't want the Jewish people to... I've heard this. It's just some, some dumb arguments. Didn't marry outside of their race. First of all, it wasn't a racial issue. What it had to do with was the pagan communities and their worship of these demonic beings, right? So, but check this out. Ruth and Rahab were not Jewish, but they were in the line of the Messiah. What's the difference? They forsook the gods of their youth that their families taught them about, their demonic entities, and they went to be with, with Yahweh, right? So they were ethnically and you could say racially different from the Jews, but they were in the line of the Jewish Messiah. So tell me that's not an honor. Amen? So all we have to do is do our research. The problem with King Solomon, what was his problem? He had a lot of problems. But he had all these wives and he would build temples to their foreign gods whether they were Egyptian or Moabites or whatever. Um, and that's what he regularly did. He would build these altars uh, and he became very spiritually compromised because of these women that he was in. And not to mention, he had hundreds of, of women that he was with. So something was wrong in his head. Uh, you know, we, we see when we read Ecclesiastes, I actually did a study on the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Uh, you see Solomon, uh, you know, his early works, you see Proverbs, and you see Ecclesiastes, and you see the ramblings really of a madman. 
He did so much to, he, he still wanted to know God and at the end of his life, and he's basically telling everybody else, including us, if you don't have the Lord, you have nothing. He said, I had all the wine I wanted. I had all the women I wanted. I had all the land I wanted. I had everything I wanted. There's nobody above me in this world, but it's all vanity and grasping for the wind for those of you who have read it. So if you're, if you're in, a, in a rough mood, don't read Ecclesiastes because it'll put you into a depression. But if you're very objective and you're a little upbeat, you could read it and see that the man who had everything, we're just going to throw money at the problem. We hear that in this country all the time. Does it solve anything? I worked in government for 25 years. Money comes in every year. The budgets increase. Is anything getting solved? <laughs> but this is the rat race of government, right? So... Um, so there you have it from King Solomon. Verse 12, he says, Be awake and be aware. Now, one of the things I said the last time, I love to throw a little apologetics in here, is that uh, the Bible translators, as, as experts, had no problem translated these Hebrew or Koine Greek or Aramaic, but they would stumble a little bit on the colloquialisms, right? Um, like if you say to somebody, Break a leg, that's an American colloquialism. Somebody who you're translating it into German for the Germans might say, oh, that's a horrible thing to say to somebody. Well, we don't really mean break a leg. So the colloquialisms, be awake and aware. What does that mean? What is he talking about here? This meant spiritually to, to, to those guarding the camp, you should know better. Like I said before, you can't say, oh, I didn't know. You memorized the law. You taught the law. You deciphered the law. You used applications. So these priests would be walking the line and serving God, but also these, these uh, compromising uh, personal relationships, especially marital and family, and they would just kind of keep walking the line, right? Uh, we, we see the book of Judges, Samuel, uh, Samson, rather. Samson was somebody who just kept straddling that line. Well, I'm still strong. I'm still, I'm still, God, still in God's will. Well, let me let me let me go over here. You know, it's a carcass. It's okay. I could touch it. Oh, let me let me eat the fruit of the vine, even though I'm took a Nazarite vow. Uh, I still got strength. Well, eventually one day he woke up and he's like, I will do what I've always done, and he had no strength, and they took his eyes out, and made him a slave. So Samson is a great example of somebody who straddled that line, and his life ended tragically. He didn't get his sight back. He didn't. You know, he just you know, ask one more time to have judgment on the Philistines and pushing those columns, and he died along with the Philistines. Tragedy. It was tragic. I, I don't, you know, we, we certainly that's not somebody we want to emulate in our life's course. Verse 13 through 15, he says, you cover the altar with tears. Now, some of these things have multiple uh, applications. Well, number one, I guess metaphorically, the tears of the wives, right? That they were not treating well. Oh, God, you know, the Bible's anti-women, really? God, in this whole chapter, is, is chastising them for the way they treated their wives. So, you cover the altar with tears. No doubt, they're officiating at the altar, and their wife is crying her eyes out because she knows that when the priest is done, he's going to be going down the street or going across the border and doing whatever. Uh, so, that's a terrible thing. But also, right, when, when we look at this, some of them did have a conscience, right? You, not everybody is a monolith. Not everybody thinks the same and does the same, even though we're from the same group or whatever. 
So what happened was, in some ways, no doubt, they, some might be officiating. And, you know, it's, it's a thing when, you, when, you do, when you're in sin and then you're presented with the things of God. And no doubt some of these priests, as they were officiating, tears would flow down their face and it would drip onto the altar because they were in such a pickle. You know, they were in such a bad position. Maybe part of them just thought about the days when they started out as a priest and things were great. And maybe they did, the, you know, the truth what did roll off their lips and people did seek them. Now the guy's starting to be exposed and his, his marriage is a mess, his family life is a mess, and he's just, he's just his tears are going down on the altar. God's very expressive, isn't it? His, his words is very expressive. So something that happened over two millennia ago, we can actually, we can actually feel the things that are actually happening because God gives so much detail to it. So it's powerful stuff. Uh, he, he says that God made them one flesh, right? We see this in Ephesians 5. Uh, I, I've done weddings where I've even said sometimes just by, you know, you, some, it's day one, right? It's the wedding and the weeks and the months later. And I'm like, you can show your faith in Christ just by how you love each other. So people from the outside can say, oh, you know, Bob and Jane, they really, really love each other. Boy, they, have, they, they really, really serve each other. They care for each other. And that in itself is a witness to Christ, right? The relationship between Christ and the church. That's Ephesians 5. So God was saying, now this is pre-Christ. He was speaking about, um, you know, really a, a spiritual situation that was taking place that he wanted to continue the godly offspring, maybe not necessarily the priest's physical, literal offspring, although God was concerned about that, but that the whole culture, the whole you know, uh, spiritual culture wouldn't fall apart because of this horrible road that these officiants were going down. Right? So God is like hitting this from every single angle. And if I could maybe paraphrase, is like, don't let your behavior corrupt you or corrupt your spirit and that of the people down the line that you're affecting. So that's just sort of my paraphrase. And verse 16, he says, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence. Right? Um, He hates divorce. Now, there were provisions in the Scripture for these type of situations, these bad relationships. Deuteronomy 24, um, some of the men were taking advantage. They were, you know, their wife was home crying and they were out doing whatever they were doing. And God commanded, it's like part of the, the Ten Commandments, it's not part of the Ten Commandments, but it's, it was part of God's commandments that the man, no matter who he was, would write a certificate divorce, put it in her hand, and let her be free. Right? That was God's law. So God actually instituted a provision for divorce because of the way these wives were being treated. Now, I don't want you to think that the whole culture, all the wives are being treated horribly, but even if there was 10 of them, it was 10 too many. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just giving you the details here. Um, now, when we look at the Bible in totality, because people ask me this question while we're on the subject, what is a provision for somebody who's married to be able to, to move on according to the Scripture? Well, one is if a spouse dies of natural causes. I have to put natural causes in there because you see all these t- shows on TV and people will look for any loophole so a person can move to another spouse if their spouse passes away. We also see provisions for adultery, obviously, and abandonment by either spouse, right? You know, in this church, we've tried to hold a lot of marriages together. We've been successful in many places, but in some, 
if just one out of both parties decides they want out and that's it, can't force them to stay together. Right? It, we've got, we have free will, just like everything else God gave us free will with. And he says, you cover, divorce covers your garments with violence. Now, this can be looked at, I would say, two ways. If you remember Ruth and Boaz, it's, it's such a romantic love story. Um, you know, he covers her with his, you know, the men would wear robes, and uh, he covered her with his garment. Yeah, I'm not really sure exactly how it happened, but that was a sign that, um, I guess that's an engagement ring. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been in that book, but I'm trying to figure this out, you know. So it, it wasn't sexual. It was, just, it was just what they did, and that was a sign that was unequivocal that, you know, he's, he's like, I want, I want you to marry me, right? Now we give each other rings. Um, the other way, so the garment, the, the man's garment um, could be covered with, with violence, but the priest, uh, get to the better one for last, the priest had special garments. So God's saying, you're going up to the altar and you're doing a service for me and you're trying to get people closer to God and you're wearing your priestly garments, but the way you behave in your homes, and nobody in the community might have even known it, but God sees everything, doesn't he? Oh, I'm going to hide this from God. Good luck on that one. <laughs> Don't take that one to the bank. So he sees everything. And he, you're going and you're going to officiate as a priest. You've got your garments. And he says, what you're doing is you're covering your priestly garments with violence. And that's how you're going up to my altar. So remember the refuse on the faces? Well, we want to forget about that. We're going to go eat lunch soon. Um, but if we bring that one with... So these are metaphors, right? You're, he, he was, they're covering the garments with violence, God saying, even if nobody in the community sees, I see. And I'm very displeased with it, to say the least. Verse 7, I just want to read it one more time. He says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied Him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? So four out of four is a stubborn impasse. Wearying God with these endless arguments, defending the indefensible. You ever try to, I don't know, it could be, could be your kid, right? It could be a best friend that's getting involved in something that you're, so, you're more concerned about where they're going than they are. And you're passionate about, you, you can't do this. You know, you have to, and they just argue with you. It's like, just, just repent, just change. It's simple. God would be very happy with that. And they double down on stupid. They just keep going, right? And they just keep, yeah, but you know, I, I, and you just, you like, am I, what world am I in? You know what I'm saying? I mean, where's this conversation going? I'm being, I've been wearied by trying to talk to somebody out of something that's going to hurt them. And they're fighting with me. Like, I'm the bad guy. Wait a minute. I'm the guy who's trying to help you out, right? Is it no good deed goes unpunished? Sometimes that's a true statement. So, uh, so this is what was going on. And we see that in our culture. Well, because I want to. Well, because I have the right to. Well, because, yeah, American culture says you can do anything to yourself. You know, it's in our constitution. Is it smart all the time? If it's going, if it's something that's evil, it's not smart. So we look at this, and A is the person in persistent sin now, we're focusing a lot on the clergy, but you know he goes back and forth with the worshipers too. They were also guilty. They knew that the priests were doing wrong, and they were going along with a lot of it, and they shouldn't have been. But 
when you look at this, uh, everyone's good in the sight of the Lord. He delights in them. People do this today. Oh, God is fine with it. A God of love won't judge me. Don't worry about it. Just be yourself. He's going to be fine with it. He is a God of love. But you know, people twist those statements. Well, I'm going to worship God in my own way. I hear that a lot. Maybe find out how God wants to be worshipped since He created you and He's the one who has more clarity than, than me, than, than you. You know, let's, let's work through this. B, where, again, where is the God of justice or judgment? I didn't get struck by a lightning bolt, so I must be okay with God. Right? And people do that. They have this attitude that the sin is a funny thing. Oh, I, I just did something. Oh, nothing happened to me. I feel fine. Oh, I'm going to do it again. Oh, I'm going to do it again. And then before you know it, you're like, I feel so estranged from God. Mm-hmm. God will allow us. you know. And I think part of the scariest concepts in the Scripture is when God gives us over to ourselves. I don't want God to give me over to myself and my flesh. I want Him to put speed bumps. I want to trip and fall over things and hurt myself and go, oh, <laughs> yeah. I get it. You're trying to get my attention. When we, we, and that's the thing, right? The fool isolates themselves. They, they uh, rage against all wise judgment, Proverbs tells us. Right? When we start isolating ourselves, that's dangerous too because we're in our own echo chamber or we start to choose friends that start to act like this. Little by little, it's like that song, it's a slow fade, you know? I got a new group of friends. Everything I say, they're fine with. This happens a lot in social media. I'm going to delete those who don't like my posts or who don't affirm everything that I'm saying and doing. And what do you have? You're, you're a, you have your own fiefdom. You're a monarch now in social media. And we can delude ourselves, right? Man, the mind is a funny thing how it works. There's dopamine involved and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, there was actually some studies done on social media. Now I was, I was looking at a commercial for safe phones for teens, which I think is a great idea. And there's certain things on the phones that they can't get. It's like has parental controls, which I think is a wonderful idea. Social media is destroying our youth. It's almost like being to come out of a cult, right? Okay, continuing on. And I, my wife, she says, she laughs at me because I just... I'm like, I just have to do what God calls me to do. And if someone doesn't like it, they don't like it. If I'm doing something wrong, I don't mind being corrected. If my sermon, I misquoted something, I don't mind being corrected. But if I'm teaching the truth and people say, oh, that's too harsh. I go to a church where they make me feel good all the time. Well, then you should probably go to that church because it's not going to happen here. Um, you know, the, you know it's, I think somebody deleted me. The, I'm, like, I'm like, Heather, I don't even know how, I don't know how many friends I have. Ten people could delete me. I wouldn't know it, and I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Quite frankly, and people think, oh, he's the pastor. I'm going to friend them, but I'm going to only let them see certain things. All I see is ads all the time anyway when I log on. So I'm not, I don't have time to trolling. How do I get on the subject, right? I know, I walked into it. But the point is that just be concerned about pleasing God. Now, I also know on the other side, because I'm a very balanced person, are those Christians who love to put stuff out there and irritate people, 
who love to rain on their parade, who love to, and they just don't know how to say things. Sometimes it's a personal conversation is better than a nasty paragraph that you slam somebody with Bible bullets. I don't like, I don't do that, you know. You do what you want to do. If you want my opinion, I'll give it to you. But you asked. <laughs> so, so let's go back to what the Scripture says. In John 3.16, right? God was trying to get them from imploding upon themselves before Mashiach could come. Malachi, 400 plus years. John the Baptist, Yeshua comes, Right? And they were in such a, a tailspin that he was trying to get them to pump the brakes. 400 years is a long time. You're going to destroy yourselves. You're going to destroy the country. You're going to destroy the spiritual system. Red flag, bridges out. Stop. Because what we get to in four, uh, four centuries is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. So the message title today is Warning is Love. And that's the truth. That's a true statement. How do I make an application almost 2,500 years later? Read the paper. Look at the news. Don't do it too long because you'll be depressed. But our culture is in a tailspin. And yeah, it's, I'm not applying Malachi directly to us, but I am saying that we need to also be aware that there are signs, that there are warnings Jesus spoke about a lot of these things that we're seeing in the world today that's taking place. And government's not solving the problem. Political parties are not solving the problem. Billionaires at the WEF just want us to be their little minions. They're not solving the problem either. Christ's kingdom is coming. So A, we have to be aware. We have to know the times, right? We have to be warned of the times. Jesus did this purposely so we would understand when this time starts to be ushered in that we would love people enough to pray for our communities, but also pray about how we could be a part of the solutions. And you know what? That we don't get caught up like some of these people going off the cliff, that we, we be the ones who still have the, God's words off of our lips and people still come to us looking for the answers because, folks, once it's over, it's over. And uh, I just want to know that Thousands or more people came to Christ because of me in some way when I get to heaven. I'm looking forward to meeting all those people. And a lot of them, it's not because of me, just some of my interactions with you. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.